As you're being seated, take your <clears throat> Bible or your device and find Jonah. We're going to still be in that first chapter, just the last verse. Uh, it is a good precursor to move into chapter 2. That's why we're going there. So you'll be turning there. While you do, let me <clears throat> remind you, let me test and see if some people are old enough in the room to, understand, to remember this. How many of you will admit to me that you know what this is and that you've done it? How many of you have done the limbo, the limbo rock? Let me see some hands go up. Come on now, don't be shocked. I see stuff. I, some of you are young. You still, okay. uh, I enjoyed doing that, probably because the only dance I was really any good at whatsoever. But you remember how that works? Is the pole was held between two people, and then you had to go down like this, get underneath it. And all the time, the fellow on the, on the, the record was saying, how low can you go? And you'd go lower and lower each time in the process. It was a lot of fun. I got to thinking about that the other day, though. That's not a very nice question to ask anybody. You know, how low can you go? If we asked Jonah, he'd say you can go pretty low. Very, very low, as a matter of fact. And this morning, we want to pick up where we left off as Jonah is on this adventure trying to escape from the presence of the Lord, or so that's what he thought he wanted to do. You remember from last week that the word of the Lord happened to Jonah. It came to Jonah. And he said, Jonah, arise and go. Where am I to go? I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The most vile, wicked, horrendous bunch of people that there ever was. He said, you're going to go and you're going to preach to them. Well, Jonah arose and went. But he didn't go to Nineveh. <laughs> he went in the absolutely opposite direction. He was headed from Tarshish, which is as far on that side of the world as he knew that he could go. And his, the Scripture tells us that he was le- running from the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to be in the presence of God. Now, he knew he might not could have really get away from the Almighty God, but he can get away from the people of God, get away from the city of God, get away from the temple, get away from everything that reminds him of God and the calling on his life. And here's what we learned in the process of this. As he did this, he got inside the boat, went out on the middle of the ocean, got out there a long way. We don't know how far out he was. But a horrible, horrible typhoon, a hurricane uh, came forth, and it was tossed in the, uh, the boat all over the place. They were convinced that it was about to be uh, shipwrecked. And in the midst of that, they began to pray and to cast lots to see uh, whose fault it was they were in this kind of a situation. And the lot, you know, would have fallen on Jonah. And Jonah confessed, God's called me to do something, and I'm running away from him. And he said something there. He said, you boys, toss me off in the water. Here's what Jonah was convinced of. If I can't get away from the presence of God by fleeing to Tarshish, if I die, and I'm in Sheol, the realm of the dead, then I'll be outside of God's presence, and he won't be able to mess with me. Yeah, I heard that laugh. I agree. (laughs) You see, God knew something that just in a few hundred years, he was going to become a man himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and bust hell wide open. So he already knew that that wasn't going to hold any water, if you understand what I'm saying here. So Jonah learned this lesson, and we learned it last week as well. You can run from God, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. And the thing we learn is the harder you run from God, bam, that's the harder you run into him. Why? Because he's going to be right there. He's not going to allow you. He loves you too much to allow you to run from the best that he has for you. And so he's going to put obstacles before you. He is going to be that obstacle that's going to be there for you. He loves you too much 
to let you be outside of his absolute and perfect will. So that's where we were last week. Now I want to pick up in verse 17, because that kind of is the introduction and the, uh, the jump into chapter 2. So read, if you will, with me, Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. Now the Lord prepared, stop right there, <laughs> underline prepared, prepared, it, it means to appoint, it means to choose. It means to prepare a situation. Uh, This has already been used once already in the book. It's going to be used two more times. God prepared and hurled this typhoon at him. Here, he's going to prepare the fish. Later, he's going to prepare and call and appoint a plant. And then he's going to call and prepare and appoint a worm. God uses his creation. We'll get into that more later. But this was God prepared. So understand, this this that is about to happen to Jonah is God prepared. So the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come here bearing testimony that we believe that the Bible is the inerrant infallible Word of God. But it stays under attack. Decade after decade, people who think they know more than you lamb last your Word, calling it full of falsehoods or contradictions or whatever the case may be, pointing out all the impossibilities. And Lord, you call us to faith in the midst of that. But it's not a blind faith. It's a faith built on facts. And Lord, I pray that you would confront us with that from the very beginning today. I ask in Christ's name, amen. Now, the first and natural thing that is asked, and you just have to go ahead and deal with it right up front. Pastor, what about this big fish or this whale thing? Is this, you know, I mean, this, is, this just doesn't happen. This just isn't, isn't possible, is it? Well, let me tell you something. Last year... Off the coast of Maine, a lobster diver was grasped, swallowed into the mouth of a humpback whale. His crew saw it happen. Now the whale, what it does, the whale can't see when he opens his mouth that wide. They open their mouth real wide, they take in hundreds of gallons of water. And then they close their mouth, slam their mouth shut. And instead of teeth, they have these hair-like fibers And they squish all the water back out through these fibers, but it catches the plankton, it catches the krill, it catches the the nutrients. And so when when the whale is going after a big gulp and opens his mouth that far, he can't see. So this this humpback whale opens his mouth and and ended up (laughs) with something a little bigger than krill. He ended up with this lobster diver. And was, was in his mouth. We don't know how long the God really isn't sure how long he was in the mouth of the whale. But eventually, the whale come up, breached, spun, and threw him out. His crew saw him going through the air in the process. This happened last year. This is not an unusual thing. Free divers, free divers often are accidentally caught in the mouth of big fish and whales. It, it happens. It's, it's, it's historically verifiably true. So is it possible that a whale would come in and decide to take Jonah down? You betcha. 
But I didn't need to read the paper to know that. I read it in the Bible, okay? And that's where God's Word is, and that's truth without any mixture of error. So in case there's any concern, yes, this can happen. When I brother Fred, I still kind of wonder about this. I mean, you know, three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, and, and, and you know, how does he breathe? And, and what about all the acidic acids that would be working on his body? These are great questions. I suggest you take them up with God when you get there. We're talking about miracle here. We're talking about miracle here. And a miracle by its definition is beyond the bounds of that which is explainable. I mean, if you're in ministry very long, and God's given me over half a century to minister to, 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 to folks, you're in the hospitals a lot. And, and over and over again, you see befuddled doctors that will come out and say, I, we don't know what happened. Cancer's just gone. They're just healed. Some of them know the Lord enough to say, <laughs> God worked a miracle. But understand, folks, miracle is beyond that, which our eyes and brain can get their heads put anyway. So let God do what he does best. And if he decides to appoint, to choose, to prepare a big fish of whatever species it might happen to be, to go swallow a man, it'll happen because the creator God who created man and created a whale, he can do whatever he wants to. So let's, let's settle that matter to where we can just kind of move on. Now, by the way, can I just pause a minute and say, have you noticed that God delights in using his creation to accomplish things with people who don't want to pay attention to him? I mean, that happens over and over and over again in the scriptures. Can I just remind you of just a few uh, in Job chapter 12? Job says, you need to look to the birds and to the animals to teach you the ways of God. Here in Jonah, he's got a fish here. Later, he's going to call a plant Later, he's going to call a worm to do his bidding and to try to teach hard-headed Jonah a lesson. Can I remind you that of the plagues of Egypt under Moses, most of those happened as a result of animals being obedient to God? And talking about Moses in Exodus chapter 22, thousands, maybe millions of quail flew in and gave up their lives to support the children of Israel. In Numbers chapter 22, Balaam's donkey preached a word to him. Solomon says, go to the ant and you'll learn about being industrious. Jesus was especially fond of fish. He was a carpenter, but he had this thing about fish. And you remember the day that he told Peter, Peter had labored all night with James and John and Andrew and hadn't caught a minner. And Jesus says, push out into the deep, let your uh, net down on the right side of the boat. And, and you know, he says, Jesus, We've been fishing all night, and we haven't got a single thing. He said, but nevertheless, nevertheless, that's a good, good King James word, nevertheless, because you said so, we'll do it. Now, I don't know if Jesus whistled, snapped his fingers, or what, but the Sea of Galilee had a, con a confirmation of fish empties into that net. It was time to go to the temple, and there's a tax that you have to pay when you go to the temple. Jesus didn't have any money. He says, Peter, go down and throw your line in the water, pull out a fish, and when you do, reach in his mouth. What did he find? He found a coin just the right size for the temple tax. Jesus had this thing about fish. But over and over throughout the Scriptures, God's kept this wonderful thing that he loves to use his creation to demonstrate that he is sovereign God. He calls on a rooster to preach a message to Peter when Peter denies God. 
over and over again in his word. So just, just understand, this is no strange thing to have a whale obey what God tells him to do, or a fish, whatever it was. But now, just for a moment, let me ask you to do something. Will you take a moment and pity the poor whale? I mean, he had a very distasteful thing to do. Has God ever asked you to do something that makes you sick? <laughs> he has me. He's called me to do things from time to time. Ooh, I don't know if I can do that, you know? And, and here is, here's this poor whale, minding his own business, perfectly satisfied with krill and plankton. And God says, I want you to go take a, take a, a, a rebellious prophet of mine and take him on a three-day all-expense-paid cruise. But he'll obey that because this world belongs to our God. He is our sovereign creator and sustainer of all that is. But pity the poor whale, I'd like to go up and ask him, hey, what was that like? He said, I don't know, it must have been something I ate. But it definitely made him sick. That's okay, because even that came in to God's wonder and glory right here. Now, <clears throat> also one last thing, it says in verse 17, before we get into chapter 2, he says it was three days in the belly of the great fish. Now, numbers are important always in the Bible. They're especially important in the Old Testament. There's a whole study called numerology that studies all the numbers and how they work together. <clears throat> uh, three here is verified by none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said this. He said, even as Noah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. Now, I don't know, but if you have any questions about whether or not something happened, can we appeal to the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer, to settle the matter? So for me, it's settled because it's in the Word of God. Okay, let's get into chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed. Wouldn't that be a good idea? I mean, if you, if you get in a bad enough shape, you might have even pray, Right? If you get low enough, hit bottom, get drug along the bottom long enough, you might even decide to pray. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Here's what I want you to grasp right here. Critical circumstances call for us to pray. I don't know if you've ever been in a life-threatening situation. I hope not. But there's a good chance many of you in here have. Some of you have served in the military. You've been in combat. We thank you for all of your service and your willingness to put, down, put your life on the line for us. So some of you know what it is to face imminent death. Some of you know that for other reasons. Three times it come to my mind right away. I, I, I faced that one. I was a little boy fishing with my uncle off the end of a pier. I snagged a big fish. And he wasn't coming to me fast enough, so I went into the water after him. Thankful my uncle was there, and he was able to save me. Another time, I was looking down the barrel of a 30-30 that was being held by my drunken uncle that was absolutely insane. Another time, as a paramedic, I was climbing inside of a car to extricate a man that was unconscious when I heard flames erupt in the back of the car. And none of those things are really important. What's important is this. When you find yourself looking death in the face... When you find yourself in that kind of a critical situation, it's not hard to pray. 
Now, it's not going to be some elaborate King James words prayer with all the these and the thous. As a matter of fact, my prayer sounded like this. Oh, God! God hears. It doesn't have to be in the King James English for him to hear and respond. Here was Jonah staring death in the face. He thought he wanted to be separated from the presence of God. He thought, I'd rather die. A lot of us have got there, haven't we? Come on, be honest. A lot of us have been there from time to time in our lives. Where we say, God, I, just, I can't, can't do this anymore. I'd rather die. Just, just take me home. But Jonah had another bit of thinking. It was faulty, but it was thinking. You see, it was believed in his day that if you were dead, if you were in the realm of Sheol, the realm of the dead, that you were outside the presence of God. Well, Jesus had plans for that a little later on. <laughs> but you're not. Psalm 139 says, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, even there you are, and your right hand is there with me. There's no place you can flee from your presence. But Jonah thought he wanted to flee from his presence and thought he could do that with death. And he said, okay, boys, chunk me in the water. And, and he just figured, I, I, I'll die, I'll drown. I don't think he had a, a big fish in mind, but, but he said, I'll drown and I'll just, I, I, I will not be in the presence of God, but I won't be going to Nineveh either. Because I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to preach God's word to those people. They may end up repenting, and they may end up not getting the full wrath of God. And I'd rather die and see them burn in hell. That's what he thought. Until he hit the water. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even my soul. The deep closed around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth and its bars closed behind me. Look at these next words. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. Oh, my God. This is the prayer of Jonah from the belly of the whale. Now, let, let, me, let me just pause a minute to say, Jonah didn't write this prayer down in the belly of the whale. <laughs> These are things that came to his mind. These are things that he was, he was thinking as he was holding his breath. All right? This is what was going on in his mind and in his heart. There, there was no way to write this prayer out anyway. I mean, there was no pen or pencil or paper floating by. He had no, no light, not even a whale or a lamp. Yeah, that's a bad joke. Anyway, he, he didn't write this there. But listen, folks, when you find yourself staring death in the face, when you find yourself at the lowest point that you can imagine that you can go, you are going to pray. You're going to think about Scripture. You're going to think about all the things God has told you, all the things that God has promised in His Word. These things are going to come up out of you if they've been in you at all. And that's what was happening. Jonah began to be flooded with all of these thoughts of God. And he realized, God, I don't, I don't want to die. 
I don't want to die here. I don't want this to be the end. I remember as a six-year-old boy being under the water, looking up, and, and I could see light. And I remember, I remember asking, God, is this where it ends? And then I saw my uncle's great hand come down in that light and grab me by the back of my shirt and drag me out of there. It's a natural thing for your heart to come to God when you find yourself in a situation like this. I want you to know that God can hear even from the depths of there. Jonah hit bottom. Now, I don't know if the whale actually settled on the bottom. I'm not saying that. But Jonah hit bottom. He hit bottom in his spiritual life. He hit bottom in his physical life. He thought he wanted to die until God offered to take him up on his request. And then he realized, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to die. <laughs> I don't really want to die. Most suicidal cries are not cries to take their life, but somebody give me a reason to live. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. Show me that God cares enough. Listen, where was God when this was going on? Where was God when this was going on? He was sitting right next to Jonah in the belly of the fish. He didn't have to send a long-distance letter. He didn't have to send an email. God was right there. When you're at the bottom, so is God. He's right there with you. He loves you too much to let you sit on the bottom by yourself. But he's not going to arbitrarily get you off the bottom either. He's waiting. And he'll keep on waiting until you come to your senses and cry out to him, Oh God, what have I done? What have I asked for? What have I wished for? This is where Jonah found himself. Look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, when I was wore out, when I could hold my breath no longer, when he was at the end of himself, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. The, the Living Translation, New Living Translation puts it this way. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. When I'd lost all hope. Pastor, do you... Do you mean to tell me that it's possible for a person to be radically disobedient and even despairing for their life and for God to still love them? 
You better hope so. Me too. I would not be here, and you probably wouldn't either, if that wasn't true. God's love for you is not measured on how good a boy or good a girl you are. It don't work that way. His love for you is infinite, unconditional, but it's also transformational. It's there to change you from the most elemental part of who you are out. So people have asked me, well, does this mean Job, uh, Jonah was repenting at this point, that he was, that he was repenting of, uh, of yes and no, yes and no. Many times, this has probably happened to you, I know that it's, it's happened to me, and, it, and, and, and I've, I've talked to people this way. There's a preacher, I am so sorry for what's happened. What they're saying is, I'm so sorry that I'm in the mess I am right now. Not I'm sorry for what I've done to put myself here. Not that I've changed my mind about what put me here. I'm just sorry I'm here. That was Jonah's heart. Hey, I, I want to do over God. Can I have a do over? I, I want to go back again. I, I don't want to be in the belly of this fish anymore. I don't want to die. But what's missing? He doesn't say, can you put me on a fast caravan to Nineveh? He didn't say that. And I know that's not his heart. Because if you've already read ahead to chapter 3 and 4, you know that's not his heart. <laughs> his mind is not changed about obeying God. He just don't want to be in this mess anymore. But, Pastor, God heard his prayer anyway. Yea, he did. Yea, he did. God will hear some pretty pitiful excuses of prayer. He'll accept as much truth as we're willing to put in them and will act accordingly. So from the first chapter, we learned you can run, but you can't hide. The runner, harder you run from God, the harder you run into him. Here is the lesson. When you hit bottom, you can look up and see the face of God. When you hit bottom, you can look up because God is there. God is there even in the midst of this. Jonah prayed, but before he prayed, he got swallowed by the big fish. What Jonah didn't know was the fish was the answer to his prayer. The fish was the answer to his prayer before he even prayed it. Don't mistake the adversity that you're going through as being something just of Satan or of accident. Remember, God appointed that fish. He called that fish. He commanded that fish. Jonah's predicament was his means of repentance, his means of escape. He didn't realize it. He didn't look at it that way right away, but it was. Ask him later, he said, say, you know what? That time, that moment, brought me into an intimacy with God that I had never known before. I've got to know maybe about half of you. I want to get to know all of you if the Lord so gives me enough time. 
but from those of you I know and those of you that I know about. Some of you have been on the bottom. Some of you have been dragged across the bottom. Some of you are sinking now. Some of you have got to that point too that you despair for life so much. I don't want to go on. Or so you think. Give me a reason to live. Pastor, give me a reason to live. God was with Jonah right here. How low must you go before you'll turn to God? How bad has it got to get before you honestly, earnestly pray to Him? How long must you drag along the bottom before you turn your life over to Him? Sitting down in the pastor's office here quite a few years ago, oftentimes I'd had a talk with Jim. Jim was extremely talented, successful, family. But things began to come unglued in Jim's life. His business fell apart. His wife left him, cleaned out their savings. He came and sat in my office, and when he sat down across from me, he pulled out a three fifty seven Magnum and laid it on his leg. Pastor, my life is worthless. Give me a reason not to blow my head off right here in your office. I could come up with a lot of reasons, but all of those were about me. But I thought of Jonah. Jim, if you thought of Jonah, never had a lower place in his life than he was there right in the belly of the fish. Jim, you're there right now. But just as God was with Jonah in the most horrible situation he could imagine, God's with us in this room right here. And your life is more valuable to Him than you'll ever know. Jim and I prayed and we cried and we prayed and we cried. And he picked up that gun again. But this time he gave it to me. Preacher, I don't want to die. But I don't know how to go on either. I said, Jim, you're among friends here. We're all broken. We've all spent our time on the bottom. But we know a God who can lift us up.
Jim spent 22 years since that day. We get together regularly over the internet or talk, talk to one another. He's very successful, a family man, loves the Lord, he leads his church. He's a servant, a deacon in his church. And he says every year when we talk, thank you, Brother Fred, for telling me about Jonah. I've told so many people, when you've sunk as low as you think you can go, you can look up and look into the face of God. I don't know where you are exactly right now. Maybe you're sitting on the bottom. I'll ask you a question. How long can you hold your breath? How long do you want to stay there? God will let you stay there just as long as you want to. And even drag you across the bottom from time to time. But when you're ready, you can look up and find the God that loves you enough to be right there with you ready to lift you up. Here's the testimony of King David from Psalm 40, verse 2. He said, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. That's David's testimony. That's Jonah's testimony. That's my testimony. I so want it to be your testimony as well. Can you do business with God today? Let's be honest to God. You bow your heads. Let's pray. Father God, this is a solemn and and really tender, important moment. The low we're in right now may be a physical low because we're going through such a horrible time physically. It may be a relational low that the person we thought that would always be there is not there anymore. It may be a spiritual low to where it seems like heaven is just sealed off and Lord, you create a low point for each and every one of us. Especially those of us who think we can do life without you. And you'll allow us to hit bottom. And even drag along the bottom. Sitting there with us. Waiting for the moment. That we say, Oh God. And that moment is right now for some of you. For some of you it may be addiction, substance abuse, or any other kind of addiction. Some of you, you may have been running from God so long and you're tired. And you're afraid, but you're tired. Time to do business with God. 
God, I'm so sorry for running from you. I may have made this mess all by myself, or it might have been made because of other people, I don't know, but I'm on the bottom. I've got the cuts and bruises of where I've dragged through the bottom. But I heard something today I've got to reach out and grab hold of. That when I'm on the bottom, you're there with me. And I can look up and find you. And you're there to lift me up out of my miry pit. And put my feet on a rock. And give me a song of joy. Lord, this morning it's time for us to be honest to you. Real revival is coming to our church. Real change is happening in lives. And it's time that we're all honest with you. In the next few moments... Those who have found themselves on the bottom, that are ready to look up to God. I'm going to ask them to come and just kneel at the altar, Lord, and meet you here. Yeah, that's a lot to ask, but then again, there's a lot you want to do. And other ministers and deacons and pastors are going to be close by to minister your grace with them. But it starts by taking the first step. Admitting, I'm on the bottom. Well, Pastor, what are people going to think? If I step out and go down there and kneel at the altar, I'll tell you what they'll think. Hallelujah. God's working real miracles before our very eyes. That's what they'll think. Don't let that stop you. Maybe there's someone in your family or somebody you love very dearly and they're banging on the bottom. Maybe you want to come and just, just intercede for them and pray for them and lift them before God. Agonize before God that they'll come to themselves. You may want to come and pray for our church. God's about to break loose with some incredible stuff here. He's preparing our hearts in ways we didn't even know we needed to be prepared. But that comes on the back of prayer. So in just a moment, when I pray, I'm going to ask you to stand as Caleb continues to play softly. And if God's put it on your heart to come and pray, I want you to have that freedom. Father God, we want to be honest with you. It's mighty lonely and dark down here on the bottom. We're afraid. We need somebody, we need you to come lift us up and give us hope. This is a place of hope. We dare to believe that. So hear us as we pray before you. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand please? Continue in prayer. The altar's open. Come praying for yourself. Come praying for others. Earlier this morning, the first service, there were folks all around the altar just praying. You have that freedom? Come praying for yourself. Come praying for others. It's time to do business with God.